Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Brittany Booth. Dr. Booth is a general adult psychiatrist at Health Psychiatry with experience treating a wide range of psychiatric disorders. She sees patients in the Westlake Village office and over telehealth. Her areas of special interest include women's mental health, particularly perinatal and postpartum care, as well as mood disorders, anxiety, and OCD. She earned her bachelor's degree from Boston University and her medical degree from the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. She completed her psychiatric residency at UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute. Prior to joining Cal Psychiatry, she served as chief resident of the inpatient units at UCLA and as chief resident of the Women's Life Center, where she gained specialty training in the treatment of mental illness during pregnancy and the postpartum period. She also received specialty fellowship training in treatment-resistant mood disorders. She continues to work in the UCLA Maternal Mental Health Program as a staff attending. Dr. Booth employs a holistic approach to treating mental illness, drawing on medications as simply one tool in a vast toolbox. She has been trained in psychodynamic psychotherapy, interpersonal therapy, as well as exposure and response prevention for the treatment of OCD. Above all, she believes that a good relationship between a psychiatrist and patient is vital to the success of treatment and strives to provide a safe, honest, and supportive environment that facilitates partnerships between herself and her patients. Today, we talk about common misconceptions around treatment during pregnancy and postpartum. Welcome, Dr. Booth. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Brittany Booth, one of the newest psychiatrists at Cal Psychiatry. Welcome. Thank you. So one of your main specialties is working with women during pregnancy as well as the postpartum period. And I'm excited today because the topic we have is to talk about some common misconceptions that are out there about that period, right? Yep. There are many, but we can talk about just a couple. So maybe we should just jump in. What's the most common misconception about mental health care and treatment during pregnancy? I think one of the biggest and most consequential ones that I see is that the safest thing to do when a woman is being treated for some kind of mental illness, depression, or anxiety that the safest thing to do when she gets pregnant is to stop the treatment, thinking that the risk of exposure to the medication is more harmful than leaving her untreated and and not having that medication exposure. And that's just simply not the case. So what is the case? What do you usually recommend? And I know each case is so different, right? But let's talk about that. So how do you approach that with with someone who's considering going off meds during pregnancy? Yeah. So like you said, each case is definitely different. We always take it by a case-by-case basis. But for the most part, especially with garden variety antidepressants like SSRIs or Wellbutrin, there's actually really sufficient safety data on these medications during pregnancy. And by and large, the data is very reassuring that these medications are safe to take during pregnancy. There are a couple of small exceptions here and there, which is not to say that they're unsafe, but that we just don't have as much data. So things like Luvox, which is a little bit of a newer SSRI, we don't have as much data on it, but the data that we do have is reassuring. With Wellbutrin, there's a recent study that shows there might be a slight increase in risk for certain left ventricular outflow defects, but the absolute risk is extremely, extremely small. 
But these risks tend to be overblown. And the thought is that, you know, the safest thing medical legally and for the patient, for the baby, just take them off the medication. But that's underestimating the risk of untreated mental illness, which we know are actually very well documented. It has poor obstetrical outcomes like preterm labor and small for gestational age babies. There's known risk with untreated mental illness and later on developing neurodevelopmental issues and behavioral issues in childhood. In the moms, having untreated mental illness during pregnancy increases the risk of having postpartum depression. And that can affect bonding and attachment. And again, is associated with later on neurodevelopmental issues and behavioral outcomes. So we really tend to underestimate the risk of untreated mental illness and overestimate the risk of medication exposure. Yeah. And I wonder also if part of that has to do with just the stigma of having a mental illness and needing to treat it in this absolute idea of, well, I don't want to do anything to harm my child. Right. And it's so clear to think, okay, if I take a medication and, and that could affect my child, but it's more complex also to think, but if you don't treat it, what that actually means and what that risk is to your child, which you just talked about. So, but I also think part of the discussion also has to do with, you kind of think about a case by case basis. And when I think about my patients, the first place we start is if someone's asking about, you know, should they stay on medication during pregnancy, how that medication is important to them. Exactly. You know, another part of that that tends to get discounted is mom's mental health. The focus tends to be so much on the baby that, you know, what are we doing to protect the baby and the baby's safety, which is absolutely, you know, something that we need to be doing. But mom is the patient here. Mm. And we need to be thinking about it's cruel to just make a person depressed or anxious when they really don't need to be. And we tend to devalue that experience. And, you know, moms wanted to protect their pregnancies and their babies. And so they think that they can just tough it out, but they don't need to tough it out. It's not necessary. Right. And also this thought of, you know, moms just want to be the best parent they could possibly be. And sometimes that means treating themselves and making sure that they're healthy. Well, all the time. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Exactly. All right. So that's one, it sounds like the most common misconception of this idea that you must go off meds, this idea that there are too many risks associated with medication during pregnancy. What are other common misconceptions? One of the other biggest ones that I see is that the thought that Zoloft is the safest medication or the safest SSRI to take during pregnancy. Something that I see a lot is people getting switched from another SSRI to Zoloft right when they become pregnant and then not doing quite as well. Or sometimes it's the family physician or the OB that switches them to Zoloft, but doesn't go to a high enough dose. And so I'll see them you know, on 50 milligrams and it's just not high enough to, to be working well. Or you know, even if it's a psychiatrist that does it, that Zoloft may not just, it may just not be the right medication for them. If Zoloft worked for everybody, we would put everybody on Zoloft. Right. But it's this important clarification that Zoloft is a helpful medication. It's just, it makes sense instead of switching somebody to something different, like something like Zoloft, the hope is that you are able to keep someone on the medication that they have a history of doing well on. Exactly. The best medication to take during pregnancy is the one that works for you. Mm-hmm. And just for some people, that's not Zoloft. And so we just see a lot of unnecessary switches to Zoloft when someone's on Prozac or Lexapro or something else that has been working really, really well for them Mm. and is just as safe as Zoloft. The myth about Zoloft is, you know, it kind of, I think, comes from the fact that we have the most data on it and that it's likely that it it may 
have the least amount of placental passage, but there's not evidence to show that it's actually safer than the other SSRIs. I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but sometimes also this discussion about Zoloft is that it might be the safest medication for breastfeeding moms. It's the same kind of thing. It's just, we have the most data on it. Not that it's safer in terms of it has fewer adverse outcomes. It just, all of them are safe. It speaks to this idea that prescribers are so concerned about medical legal issues, right? <laughs> but it also, you have to think about what is right for the patient and thinking about, okay, what, what is the thing to do, right? Do we keep someone on the med that keeps them well? Do we potentially kind of mix up the system and cause undue harm, right? Mm -hmm. If you put someone on a new medication that may not work as well for them. Yeah. So that's the second myth during pregnancy that you see. And I mean, you you do see quite a few pregnant women in your role at the um, intensive program at UCLA. I wonder, maybe, do you want to just talk a little bit about that program in case the listeners are kind of curious about what that is? Absolutely. So my other job is I work in the perinatal intensive outpatient program at UCLA. Right now, the program is three days a week for several hours a day. And we see pregnant women and postpartum women who are really, really struggling with depression and anxiety mostly, and are just really having such a tough time that they can't be adequately managed on a regular outpatient level and need that extra level of support. And so we provide psychiatric care. You know, we see them weekly for med management, and they also have an individual therapist from the program and then lots and lots of groups. So there's support groups and and process group, you know, with all of the women to, to really be there for each other in this difficult time. But then there's also more education groups that talk about nutrition and sleep and breastfeeding, different ways of feeding your babies. Currently it's remote. And so it's very easy for moms to attend the program. We very regularly have the babies on the Zoom with us. You know, they're very welcome to be as much of the part of the program as the moms are. But it's an excellent, excellent resource for women who are struggling during this particular time of their life and just are having trouble functioning on with a, a regular outpatient psychiatrist. Right. And a lot of support through the other participants in the program, I'm sure, and realizing mm-hmm. that they're not alone. Moving into the postpartum period, I wonder if we can talk about some of the common misconceptions about postpartum. I mean, very similar to the pregnancy one, that it's safer to not be on medications during breastfeeding or that it's safer to be on Zoloft and other medications during breastfeeding. When it's really kind of the same messages as you know what we just talked about with pregnancy, that it's safest to be on the medication that's working well for you and that's going to keep you mentally healthy and to be able to take care of your baby as well as you possibly could. And then there's not a reason to switch to Zoloft if you're doing well on another SSRI. And also, you know, there's this thought, especially I think among women, that because they can sort of physically see their baby drinking the breast milk, that it's it feels like it's a higher exposure to the medication that they're taking but it's actually much lower exposure. If you were taking the medication during the pregnancy, the exposure that the baby's getting from the breast milk is actually much lower than it was when they were in utero. The placental passage is is just higher. So if you were taking a medication during pregnancy, there's definitely not a reason to stop it during breastfeeding. Well, you bring up this other common misconception that I see all the time is let's say a mom actually didn't take medication during pregnancy and they're thinking Mm -hmm. about taking something in the postpartum period. 
I have a lot of new parents come to me saying, you know, I'm depressed and anxious, but I can't take anything because I'm breastfeeding. And it seems like that's something you kind of address often with new parents. Definitely. You know, we, we definitely assuage the fears that it's safe to take these medications during breastfeeding. And of course, when there are exceptions, you know, particular medications here and there, we'll talk about the risks and benefits. But again, we have to consider mom's mental health. The medication exposure to the baby is not the only factor to, to take into consideration. Yeah. I wonder also if you can talk a little bit about the pressure to breastfeed and when maybe you have conversations with moms about maybe it's actually better for their mental health at times to not think about breastfeeding. I'm so glad you brought that up. That was the other thing that I wanted to talk about. I actually have that conversation with every single one of my perinatal patients. And then not a, maybe it's a better idea to formula feed versus breastfeed, but just to lay out all the options for feeding an infant as equal options that deserve equal consideration because society and the medical field, the message is breast is best a lot of the time. And there's this pressure to breastfeed from so many different directions. I see it as my role to be the devil's advocate sort of, and say, no, it's actually okay to feed your infant. However, works for you and your family that Breastfeeding is great and we will support you in breastfeeding if that's what you want to do, you know, lactation consultants and and all sorts of things. But it's not right for everybody. And even if it's just something that you don't want to do, not that it's it's hard or it's affecting your mental health, if it's something you just even don't want to do, that it's okay to formula feed your infant. Right. You bring up this societal pressure of like, what's, you know, I must do this. This is what's best for my child. But you have, I mean, you have to also take into account if breastfeeding is keeping a mom up at night and then Mm -hmm. because of sleep deprivation, they're even more anxious and depressed. You have to kind of always weigh these kind of risks and benefits with these new moms. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just part of parenting too, that there's always hard decisions to make. Yeah. And with the sleep deprivation, I mean, that's really the only time, the only time that I will sort of make a more strong recommendation that, that a parent formula feed is if they have a history of bipolar disorder and Mm -hmm. the sleep disruption really puts them at risk of significant decompensation, then it's a much stronger recommendation. That's something, you know, either formula or pumped breast milk needs to be given overnight so that mom can preserve her sleep. But but yeah, other than that, it really is the societal pressure that I'm trying to address that that's something that will be in the environment, but it's more important to check in with yourself to see if this is really what you want to be doing and if it's right for you and your family. And to, to be the voice saying that it's okay if it's not. Right. And there are pros and cons to everything, right? Mm-hmm. Are we missing other common misconceptions during the postpartum period or anything else that it's important to bring up that you see? Those are the biggest ones I would say is, I would say, especially, you know, if you're a community psychiatrist and you have a patient who you're treating, who gets pregnant and you don't feel comfortable treating them during pregnancy, you know, rather than knee-jerk kind of taking them off all meds, keep them on it, at least for the time being, unless it's something like Depakote, you know, the likelihood that you're going to do significant harm to the fetus is quite, quite low. And there's time to get a reproductive psychiatry consult, you know, to see if any recommendations can be made to change meds if necessary, but it will likely be more harmful to mom and to baby to just take them all off immediately and, and then figure out what to do from there. 
you made me think about something. I mean, we're, we're mainly talking about medications we use to treat mood disorders, depression, mm-hmm. bipolar disorder, medications we use to treat anxiety. I mean, we didn't talk that much about ADHD. And mm-hmm. I wonder if we could go there just a little bit before we end, because it, it makes me think it's actually a big topic that we didn't really address earlier. So what about someone with ADHD, not sure about use of medications during pregnancy or not? With methylphenidate, I think there are slightly more risks, but if someone's taking a medication in the Adderall class or, you know, the amphetamine class, most of the, the evidence that we have is actually not from these prescribed stimulants taken at, you know, appropriate doses, but most of the safety data that we have is from abused stimulants like methamphetamine. So there are theoretical risks that we see from those studies, you know, about vasoconstriction and issues with the placenta. But again, those are from taking abused stimulants like methamphetamine. We sort of extrapolate that data to prescribe stimulants to think that there might be a theoretical risk that it could cause placental issues. But at low doses and taken appropriately, the risk is actually likely very, very low. But generally speaking, you know, with these medications, what I generally try to do is to taper the mom down to the minimum effective dose. And that's generally what I try to do for any mom who's pregnant and breastfeeding and kind of any patient in general is the minimum effective dose so that the baby is getting the, the least amount of exposure possible, but that it has to be effective so that the exposure is there for a reason, right? So they're not being exposed just for nothing but that the medication is also working for mom. So for example, I had a, a patient who was on Vyvanse 40 and that was what she functioned at optimally was the 40 milligram dose. When she became pregnant, we, tr- we went down, you know, we tried to go down to 30, 20, 10. And between 10 and 20 was really where we saw the most difference where 10, she just wasn't able to function at work at all. She was really, really struggling. But at 20, she could, it was enough to, that she could get things done. She could finish her tasks and be okay. She would be doing better at 40, but 20 was where it was the sweet spot. And that's where we kept her for the pregnancy. Yeah. You bring up a good point. That's true with any medication, right? It's, you know, this idea about this research we have, it's not, it's a range of dose that they studied in terms of safety. I wonder if you could t- say a little bit about that, just in the listener, because oftentimes I have patients ask me, well, what dose is best? And my answer is the dose that keeps you well. Right? Yeah. The dose that keeps you well, but again, the minimum effective dose. So any medication at higher doses than what you need, you're not getting added benefit. You're just getting more side effects or in this, you know, in perinatal more exposure. So we work really hard to try and find the sweet spot of the dose that is working well, that's keeping you well and functioning well, but no higher than that. Right. And that's why it's important actually to kind of see a, a specialist who can help in the best possible scenario before someone becomes pregnant. So you can really help determine what that exact dose is that is the best dose for the patient, but also kind of with the minimal amount of exposure. So people don't always have that luxury, but it's always a great, you know, that seems like the best course of action if someone is considering to become pregnant to think about with a specialist kind of what that best dose is for them. Mm-hmm. And having, you know, the conversations about pregnancy plans or fertility plans and creating a medication plan with 
that fertility plan in mind. You know, when I meet a new patient who's a woman of sort of reproductive age, I will routinely ask in an intake, are you planning on having children ever in your life? You know, if so, when, what are your thoughts about medications during pregnancy and things like that? And have that in mind so that when I create an initial medication plan with them, it's not a surprise when, oh gosh, you're pregnant. We have to rethink everything. We've already prepped for that. Right. Yeah. And I always, I think about cases where I have women come in who, you know, I ask them about pregnancy and they say, well, I didn't think I could ever become pregnant if I had to, if I needed these medications. So that's another important thing just to always bring it up. So you can kind of have that conversation from the very beginning. Exactly. Well, this was very helpful. I I hope this is helpful for the listener to think about some common misconceptions around pregnancy and postpartum. I will make sure your information is on the episode description. So in case the listener might want to learn a little bit more about you, that's easy to do. In general, are there any resources that you often recommend to patients that maybe you could share with the listener? Absolutely. For patients, mother to baby org is a great website that have very sort of easily digestible handouts talking about individual medications and what the risks and benefits are of exposure. MGH also has a really wonderful website, womensmentalhealth.org. That I actually use as a provider all the time for any clinicians listening to the podcast. They also have very easily digestible clinical information you know, for prescribers talking about the risks and benefits. And then also the clinician ReproTox is a great app that you can, it's just a database of every medication basically that you can just search for. And they give you a nice little blurb at the top, sort of the take-home information, but then it goes into all of the studies in detail. But that's specifically for clinicians. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I appreciate, I will make sure all of those links are on the episode description and thank you so much for being on. You have such a great experience working with these populations and I just love the way that you approach care and thinking about it. And so I hope this was helpful for the listener. I hope so too. All right. Take care. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.